Look around, man. You see the body of Christ. You see the image of God restored. It's just stunning. You know, <laughs> we hear praise, he hears faith. You know, we, we see one thing, he sees something else. And uh, thank you all for coming. It's uh, a real honor to introduce Bishop Joseph Garlington, a, a man who's done everything, like, you know, 10 talents, and he's stewarded them, and he's impacted the nation and the nations for generations. And I just want to say that if it wasn't for his input in my, my life, Anne's life, at key moments, you know, that just, we didn't know were key. It was like, hey, I'm going to be in town. You want to have dinner? And, and the words of wisdom that came from him, direction, his blessing, his affection, all these things transformed us and kept us here. Like, we, that's why we're here, you know. We're not really, no, it, it, I mean, it's amazing what happens when someone who is gifted to oversee and to direct speaks wisdom into your life. Changed our life. This is why we're here. All right. So would you stand and greet Bishop Joseph Garlington and Pastor Barbara Garlington as they come. We love you. We love you. up here. It's just, it's all good. It's all normal. Ain't nothing going on. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. This, <coughs> but I can't hit myself. Hi. Hello. Are you having a good time? Wonderful. I, I leaned over and said to Bishop as uh, Chandri was exhorting us and giving his words of encouragement. I was sitting there, and the Lord was speaking to me about things that he had promised years and years ago that he was now going to fulfill those promises. And when he said what he said concerning Pittsburgh and to us, it was confirmation that Jesus is still on the throne and we can't give up with our dreams or the words that he's given us because he has put it all together. Our timing is sometimes so very much off, but he's right on time. And I want to thank Pastor Charles and Ann for their steadfast love, for their encouragement, their loving kindness down through the years that has stabilized us stabilized us in so many ways. So thank you. Thank you, Life Center. We love you with all of our heart. Hallelujah. And to my bishop, he's my sweetheart. He's my pastor, my husband, my lover. He's all of it. Charles said he can do everything. Hallelujah. <laughs> So, Bishop, as I touch you today, I, I just ask the Holy Spirit to release to these that are here waiting to hear from God the word of the Lord, that they might be encouraged to know that he really is on the throne and he's going to fulfill the promises that he's given them. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So good, so good, so good.
So good. Jesus is so good. I mean, he is just good. I was standing here when we were singing the song, Pour Your Spirit Out. And um, you have to be places where you've heard the sound of revival in order to recognize the sound of revival. Revival has a sound that's associated with it. And you can't quantify it by describing it. You can only say it feels like. And your experience with tasting strawberries, it may be different than mine, but you can't say it tastes like. Because it doesn't taste like raspberries. Strawberries don't taste like. Just because it has berries on the end doesn't mean everything in front of it is in fact because sometimes it may just be straw and no berries. But when people say, well, what's it like? And some things you can't tell people what it's like. You have to say to them what the psalmist said, oh, taste and see. Some people want to see before they taste. But in the kingdom, you have to taste to see. But once you taste, there's no going back. There's just no going back. And once you are in revival, whenever you hear that sound, it will pull you in its direction. If what is in your heart is revival, if what's in your heart is the pursuit, the passionate pursuit of God's presence, you'll always find a way to get there. I was thinking of this passage of scripture. Can I just do whatever I want to do? Like, like my sister did last night, just... Uh, There ought to be a freedom to be in the house of God when you're in it. But how did you say it? I'm asked to close. And you said, I don't like closing because you're always looking for an opening. What if you're in the opening and you close it? What if God comes and says, you've been calling me? Yes, God, but... We have this thing going on that we really need to do a couple of things. Can you wait over here for a minute? And, <laughs> and I, said to, I said to Pastor David, there is such an amazing sound. Somebody say sound. Yeah. Say it again. Yeah. The scripture says, happy are the people who know the joyful sound. When Moses came back down off the mountain, he and Joshua, Joshua couldn't figure out that there was a sound that sounds like worship, sounds like warfare, but it's not. He misunderstood and mistranslated and misinterpreted the sound. So you can be in something like this, just raised in it and not know how unique it is. And so you enjoy it, and you go someplace else, and you say, something's missing. We fed our kids uh, one day, Barbara said, let's just do a vegetarian meal. I don't know if you know this, but Paul says in Romans 14, those who eat vegetables only are weak. That's, that's what he said. I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not judging anybody, but I'm just simply saying the Bible says. And so <laughs> the apostle said that. So I'm, I'm looking at this phrase. And so my wife says, let's just do vegetables only. Our kids are carnivores. They will eat. They will eat. And so she fixed this meal, beautiful vegetables, all the vegetables that they like, sweet potatoes, macaroni and cheese, cornbread, collard greens, <laughs> but no meat. And they piled their plates up and they were going for it. And my oldest son was sitting there and he was, he was eating. And he stopped because we were waiting for them to figure out when it was going to happen. And um, he just stopped and he said, he said, something's wrong. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, something's wrong. He said, what's wrong? 
And then he raised his eyes and he, looked and he said, no meat. And he was headed to the refrigerator. My wife said, no, no, we just some vegetables. They said, oh, man. The point is, you can be in a place and not know that something is missing because you're not accustomed to having what you have all the time. But go to another place where you don't have what you have here, and you'll look at somebody and say, what's missing? You're missing somebody who's declaring with faith and hope and joy and passion and longing. Pull your spirit out. And it's not just a song. It's a request. It's a desire. It's an exclaim. It's, ah, God. You know, God knows how limited we are in so many things. And some of the best songs have only one sound. Oh. And the sound O can fit almost anything. Did you know that O? It's like I understand. O. That hurt. Oh, whoa. Oh. But the, it's like God says, I know how limited you are in what it is that God's doing. And so when we are hearing a sound and, and it's like God is saying, Hey, you want me to come down there? Sing to me. And we sing to him and we say, not too close. So I said to Pastor David, you mind me saying this? You do? Oh, okay. <laughs> it was, uh, was it last night or, or the night before? You mentioned the, 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 the momentum and the sound that was in the house during worship. And, and she said, she said, I could taste it. That's what she said. I could taste it. In fact, she said that I could taste it. And, and I don't argue with her about her descriptions of things. But, but she said, I think if we had just gone a little further, we could have gone to a whole different place. And it's like you guys are getting ready to go to another level. And so I said to him, and then saying it to the leadership as well, there will come a moment in the house, and you need to be prepared for it, by, by giving all of your invited speakers a little statement that says, you will get your honorarium whether you preach or not. But it's, it's like she said to you, you're not the hero of this story. And that what we're really looking for is somebody who can get the hero to come. And when he comes, everybody else steps aside. And we say, come Lord. Numbers 23, 21. Do you, can you put that on? I saw you put the scriptures on for several guys, but I didn't know if you just normally had it or you could do it or if it was just magic. But um, <laughs> if you could work your magic. No, this is good. ESV, I've been, I've been reading ESV, at least yours anyway. Um, Balak is the king of Moab. He's threatened by the people of God coming through. And so he hires a prophet to curse the people of God. Anybody remember this story? And so he says, come and curse them. And so he, he, he puts them in a particular place where he can see. But instead of cursing them, he keeps blessing them. And he says, I am not paying you to bless. I'm paying you to curse. And here's this phrase I want you to see. He said, he has, not mis he has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. When the shout of a king is among you, you can't be cursed. When the shout of a king is among you, even those who come to curse you have to bless you. When the shout 
and the anointing of a king is upon you, those who are after you can only bless you because they don't have anything to do with that. In fact, you remember the story of Saul who was really upset with David and he was seeking to take his life. And um, so he sent two guys to go and get David, bring him back to Jerusalem so he could kill him. The two guys go down to the prophetic conference where Samuel is ministering. And as they cross that line, they begin to prophesy and get into the camp meeting without registering. And then uh, <laughs> Saul, Saul hears that they've done that and he takes you two guys, go get them and bring David and bring all of them back. And they go and the same thing happens. They walk into the place. Do you know, know there's, a, there's a point in God when you can step across a line and all of a sudden you are in a place you've never been before and you don't know how you got there. And these guys start to prophesy and it's on them. And third guy. Then finally Saul says, sometimes when you want to get something done right, you just have to do it yourself. And so he walks down and he crosses that line. When he crosses that line, he starts to prophesy and he starts to say good things. Can you imagine you're prophesying things that you don't want to prophesy, but you got to say them anyway? David's going to be the king. He is going to be blessed. He is going to be the successor. He's going to take over. And, and, and he's getting heated up and he's getting hot and he starts taking off his clothes. And he takes all of his clothes off, all of his clothes. And by the time he gets to Samuel, he's naked, but naked. I saw a guy worshiping last night and I needed a blanket to put over his back or, or one of those shirts that you get that covers any, I'm just, that's an aside, I'm sorry. But it was a distraction. It was. And Saul's on the ground prophesying. People who don't know that God is not a gentleman, they try to fix that up. That Saul took off his royal robes. But I took three quarters of Hebrew in seminary. And I looked up the word naked in Samuel 19 and in Genesis. And it's the same word. When people say the Holy Spirit won't make you do anything you don't want to do. And I said, you never went to my church. <laughs> and here's Saul prophesying. He's on the ground. He's prophesying. All night long, he prophesied no clothes on. He prophesied all night long. He pro Hey guys, look, you're not here to look pretty, all right? You got, you got to help him. All night long, breakthrough comes in times when you least expect it, but they come particularly when you are not concerned about preserving your dignity because you want your deliverance. And anyone, anyone seeking revival and wanting to hold on dignity to dignity at the same time, they're incompatible. Revival is like another passage, and let me just read this one to you because you won't believe it's in there. At least you won't believe my interpretation of it. It's Proverbs 23, verse 29. Hurry up. It's Proverbs 23, verse 29. It's, it says, who has wounds? Who has with wounds without a cause? Who has redness of the eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, go to the next verse, those who try to go to mixed wine, go to the next verse. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Go ahead. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. You eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. It sounds like revival to me. 
You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. What I love about revival, you can't get enough of it. And no matter how much it beats you up in one service, you'll come back and you just simply say, do it again, Jesus. Do it one more time. Do it until there is nothing left in us that will say no, and everything in us will say yes. And then you will prophesy all night long. With clothes on, hopefully. <laughs> Your sound in this house is a sound of revival. It's a sound that God's given you. It's a sound that is a combination of sounds. I've been in churches, and they'll say something to me that sounds like it's spiritual, and they say, we only sing our own original songs. And I said, uh, interesting. And usually when they say we only sing our own original songs, they're not good. <laughs> or at least not as good as they think they are. And so I just say, okay, right. But then the song we, we sang, those two songs that we sang, it, it, they don't have to be birthed in the house for you to own them. And when people say, we only sing those songs that are birthed in our house, and I said, did you know that in Ezekiel 37, the river of God is teeming with life? All kinds of fishes are in there. And that when you understand the river and the appropriateness of the river, you can find a river song wherever people are in the river. And when you bring those sounds together like you've been bringing together with those guys down south and, and I'm watching you and I'm watching them and I said, where did they learn how to do that? But there's a, there's a marking of the spirit that causes you to get where God wants to take you without you really understanding how you got there. You just wake up one day. How did you get there? I sang my way into it. I hungered for it. I thirsted for it. And I said, God, whatever you're doing in the earth. My wife and I prayed this prayer 49 years ago. If you're doing anything in the earth, we want to be a part of it. Prayed that prayer. 30 days later, I got kicked out of the denomination that we were part of. And I never associated that prayer and that experience until God pointed it out to me. He said, you said, whatever you're doing, you ain't part of it. I said that. He says, well, that's what I'm doing. I, w I wasn't doing anything where you were. <laughs> and so when I heard the song, Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, it took you that long to find that key. <laughs> Don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, Whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Say it again. Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Say again. You do. Okay, you forgot the words that quick. Say, say Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Now, it's not whatever. It's whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. All right, come on. Lord, lift your voice. Whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lift your voice, come on. Whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. 
don't do it without me again loud whatever you're doing in this season don't do it without me don't do it again don't do it don't do it without me don't do it without one more time don't do it without me What I didn't realize is that songs are prayers when you sing them to God. And when you sing a song to God that has a prayer phrase in it that says, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me, he's going to take you at your word. And many times, because I won't pray what's in my heart to pray, but I'll sing it because it's not threatening. And so you'll sing something like, just want to be where you are. Just want to be where you are. I'll cross the hottest desert, climb the highest mountain. Just want to be where you are. And God says, he's singing it. Let's get him there. <laughs> and here's one of the things I find, because they asked the question of me, what gives you staying power? Many times what you now have in your life as a staying power wasn't something you sat down and created. You looked at your life and you realized, oh, that works. That works. Staying power. Say it, say, staying power. So for me, staying power was when you get in a jam and you don't know what to do, you just start telling Jesus how much you love him. And if you need it, God will give you a song. And so in order to have staying power as a believer, you've got to have a worshiping capacity. Stay a worshiper. Find the song that, that's, that God's put in your life in the moment that you're in it. Songs have seasons. And I call certain songs grace gate songs. And you say, why Grace Gate? Because when you sing it, it's like it opens a door for you to go through and find something in God you couldn't find intellectually. In moments of your great challenges, you'll hear something and a song will come like, all things are passed away. Your love remains. You guys know this song? The same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. You cause your sun to shine on darkest night for all you have done we will pour out a, we will be our anthem song jesus i remember the first time hearing this song you don't have to stop singing i remember the first time i hear, hearing this song and i was sitting in the chair and I was looking at a church that I thought, man, is this church going to make it? And here comes this song. Jesus, we love Oh, how we love And it became a grace gate for me as I was worshiping and singing. He was taking me someplace. Our hearts would... And then the bridge... The bridge is, a, is something that on the recording, they only sing it three times. It's kind of like, our affection, our devotion, pour out on the feet of Jesus. Our affection, our devotion, pour out on the feet of Jesus. Our affection. Pour out on the feet of Jesus our affection. Come on. Pour out on the Jesus we love. 
See, when they went to that part, I said, you went too fast. <laughs> Stop going to that change and stay right there. Our affection, our devotion, pour out on the feet of Jesus. Our, Come on, lift your voice. Pour out on the feet Our affection Our devotion Poured out on the feet of Sing it! Our affection Poured out on the feet Come on! Our affection <laughs> Jesus, we love you. <laughs> you are the one our, our hearts adore. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. The door. Ah, the door. It's worship. It's it's understanding that you have a uniqueness about you that cannot be duplicated by anyone else. Your fingerprints, your eyes, your voice. Everything about you is different, no matter what anybody says. We're not all alike. And when a thousand voices go up to him, he can distinguish between everyone. Trillions of stars all have a different sound. And your sound makes a difference. And when God hears it. Do you remember that little video we did yesterday? that little cougar, that big cougar and that little cub bear, and, and he's just enjoying himself. He's, oh, life is so good. And then he hears this growl. He looks up and he says, it's time to run. And he starts to run. But his little legs can outrun that cougar. And he gets cornered. Somebody say cornered. Have you ever been cornered by the enemy? And in the moment you're cornered, you're wanting to fight. And, in, and then the enemy slaps you and hits you really hard. And you realize, see, when people say to me, uh, and I, I don't know where they get it from, but there's this passage that says, Satan is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But they said, don't worry about it because he's a lion without teeth. And I'm saying, yeah. But I don't know if you heard a lion roar, a real roar. That'll scare you by itself. You don't need teeth. It just. But the enemy doesn't want to, he doesn't want to detract you, derail you. He wants to eat you. He wants to kill you. He's seeking whom he may devour. You cannot devour with gums. You need teeth. And it's when that little guy realizes, this is serious, and I can't outrun him. And so he stops, and then he does what he knows instinctively to do. He lifts his voice, and he roars. He screams. It's not like a big scream. It's, ah! He's, he's hurting. But he yells long enough until the big grizzly comes. And he doesn't see it. He can't see it because he's looking at the adversary, but the adversary is looking at 
who you're calling on. Here's what the scripture says in Isaiah 30. He says, I wait on high. I'm waiting on high to hear your cry. I long to be gracious to you. And when I hear your cry, I'll answer. And sometimes that cry isn't birthed out of a great song of power. It's birthed out of, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Worship happens in some of the most incredible places. It's one of the reasons that I'm looking at, and when people say, what's your staying power? I said, man, I've learned to worship. I've learned to say, God, it's you, Lord. He gives and he takes away. I like that gift part. But he gives and takes away. And in the giving, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. But in the taking away, we should still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. David messed up. See it, please. David messed up. Look at the person next to you says, I don't know what your name is, but you're going to mess up too. And I've learned from David, staying power isn't always related to doing it right, but it's doing it right after you do it wrong. And Samuel, or Nathan rather, says to him, oh, by the way, the baby's going to die. But David knows God. He says, you know what, I can probably stop this. And he goes and he and he gets face down on the ground and he begins to seek God. And, and I spent a lot of time on my face. He invited us to kneel down. He said, if you can. My right knee could, but my left leg says, if you do that, you're gonna get a Charlie horse in your thigh, so just just do one knee. But I was there. It's easier to get face down. David was face down for seven days asking God, don't kill my baby. Don't kill my baby. And God took the baby just like he said. When they told David the baby's gone, the Bible says David got up off the ground. Say it please. He got up off the ground. He changed his clothes and he went into the presence of God and he worshiped. He worshiped in the face of disaster. He worshiped in the face of his offense. But the same God who corrected him was the same God who blessed him. It's, it's the ability, if you're going to stay, if you're going to hang out, if you're going to be here, when Jesus comes, or if you're going to make it all the way through, if you're going to do like, like her dad did, celebrate his going, staying power requires you to be a worshiper, even in the face of your worst moments, in the face of your disaster, you worship anyway. You get your hands up, and you just say, I surrender. I bless you, God. You offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I've learned that staying power requires sacrifices. Sacrifices are those things that cost you when you give them. David, take the offering, take the wood, take the land, take the sacrifices. All this Arana gives to you that you might worship the Lord your God. And David says, no, you can't give me my offering. God forbid that I would offer him something that costs me nothing. If it doesn't cost, it's not a sacrifice. If you can't worship him in pain, then you can't worship him at all. If you can't worship him when things aren't going your way, then you have no reason to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I lift my hands in total adoration unto you. You reign upon the throne, for you are God and God alone. Because of you, my cloudy days are gone. 
I can sing to you this song. I just want to say that I love you more than anything. I lift my hands. I lift my... Come on, I'm telling you to do something. It's not a song, it's, it's instruction. Come on, lift your hands. All right, just... All right, if you can't get them any higher than that, just get one up. It's like a kind of I surrender, half me. Half flag, half mass, half something else, all right? All right, so, <laughs> all right, it's your dirty mind. I lift my hands in total adoration unto you. You reign upon the throne. You reign upon the for you are God. For you are God and God alone. Because of you, my cloudy days are gone. I can sing to you this song. I just want to say that love you, love you more than anything. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore. Just want to tell you. love you more than anything. Now, I want you to sing it as loud as you can. Come on. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you. Lord, I love you Come on. So I'm in trouble, and I've got to decide, do I want to get mad? Do I want to get even? And so I just, God, I've got several ways I could go with this thing especially when people have not responded to you in a way that reflects gratitude. At least they could say thank you. But we've learned in serving God, no good deed goes unpunished. And if you think that irks you, imagine how God feels when we don't respond in thanksgiving to what he says to us. And so he gives us this little, this little memo in Deuteronomy 28. And he says, because you refuse to worship me with joy and thanksgiving of heart for everything, then you will serve your enemies in hunger thirst, nakedness, and the want of everything. All the things, those four things, capsulize what Jesus experienced on the cross for us. Want, thirst, nakedness, and absolute poverty. A wonderful book was written by a man by the name of Hugo. And it's entitled worshiping from the cross. He says the entire 22nd Psalms was articulated by Jesus on the cross. You know how 22nd Psalm says, what's the first verse of the 22nd Psalm? Psalm 22. Look at it. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? In the next verse, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And then he says, come on, yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In your worst moment, you can still put him on the throne. You can build a throne for him with worship. You can allow him to be Lord of your disaster, even if it's your fault. And he can say to you, give it to me. I can fix this. And I just sit there and just tell God, didn't turn out like I thought it was going to turn out, God. And I know Barbara told me I should have done it the other way, but I said, I have a better idea, and my better idea didn't work. God, I need you to heal her, and I need you to help me. And he says, can I have the whole thing, or are you going to do part of it? Yeah, you're going to have the whole thing. And then he starts to tear it up. I didn't know you were going to do that. He said, just stand there and worship. Because your sting power is not going to be birthed out of your ability to be resilient, but out of your ability to be broken. And just simply say, I'm yielding to you, God. I own this. I accept this. And whatever you're up to. And so he turns graves. He turns graves. He turns graves. He turns graves. I know it's not a Bible verse, but it's a song that you guys sing. It's like, he turns grace into gardens. He does. And you don't wait until it's a garden. You sing while it's a grave. <laughs> God, you're in this. And while it's going crazy, you start singing to him. Last thing I said, can I have two more minutes? Actually, I'm, I'm really saying two more minutes. How many will give me two or three minutes? All right. Hang on. Keep your hand up, please. Two, four, six. Mark DuPont is a good friend of ours. You guys know him. Mark DuPont had a word a number of years ago. He's speaking in church, and he, he's prophesying. He's a great prophet. He says, it's time to elevate our hearts above our heads, says the God. For if we do not elevate our hearts above our heads, the child that is about to be born will have struggles. And he said, I've never given a word like that. And he says, I couldn't figure it out. He says, so I didn't try to do anything with it, but just go on with my message. And he said, when he got to his hotel, the pastor of the church called him and said, Mark, my daughter is uh, in labor and she's challenged. And I want you to come with me to the hospital and pray. And so he goes with this pastor to the church and uh, they, to the hospital rather, and they get there and all kinds of activity going on in the room. And the doctor comes in, this, this young woman about to give birth to this child, she is, she's terrified. And he comes in and announces to everybody, the baby's in trouble and you young lady have to get your heart above your head. And Mark is hearing, she says, what do I do? He says, quickly get out of the bed. And you're the only person here who could really demonstrate this. But she's about to have a baby. You can't get on your knees and put your head on the floor. Or can you? You elevate your heart above your head by getting your head down and your heart raised and you become Mary whose head is down and she's wiping the feet of Jesus. When you elevate your heart above your head, you're not allowing your head to tell you which direction to go because if you follow your heart, your heart's gonna tell you to do some stuff that your head would say, have you lost your mind? No, I found my heart. And so she wipes his feet 
with her hair. She anoints him with this incredible, expensive perfume. And the fragrance fills the room. She does not get permission to do what she's doing because sometimes you can't get permission to do what you, God tells you to do. But it's easier to get forgiveness. She walks into the room. She anoints him, puts that stuff on his head, on his clothes, on his feet, and her hair. She uses her hair to wipe his feet. I'd have to get a whole lot closer than she did in order to do that. But, but, but here's the punchline. When Jesus left the room and Mary left the room, there were only two people who had perfume on them. And that was the one who anointed him and the one who was anointed. When you have that kind of experience and you're walking with yourself, going back to your home and you've had an encounter with Jesus, come on, stand up with me. You've had an encounter with Jesus and you didn't have time to rearrange your hair. And as you're walking past people, especially friends are looking at you saying, girl, what happened to your hair? Where have you been? And the only thing she could say is this, you wouldn't understand. To try to explain the sound of revival to people who've never been in it, you have to leave that alone. If they say to you, where do you worship and what do you worship? Say what Jesus said when the disciples says, where do you live, master? And he said, come and see. Because the moment you come in, to a place like this, you see what Barnabas saw when he got to Antioch. He saw the grace of God. Our affection, our devotion, poured out on the feet. Our affection. David, come please. Pour out on the feet our affection. Your father's chasing you. Feed Everybody lift your voice. Our affection. Pour out on the feet. Say it again. Jesus, we love you. Would you come and just lay hands on that pretty little lady over there? Yes, you, with the red hat on. You can stay, Anne. You've done a, an amazing job. Her story about wonder is going to be your story about David. God said to tell you, you're raising a champion. And you've already begun celebrating who he is and worshiping with him. But in her womb, in her belly, is a major voice for a generation that's waiting for a Samuel. And we, we live in a time when children are precocious. Samuel was precocious. 
David is going to be precocious. Wonder is precocious. When Wonder stood up in the seat and looked at the little girl and said, be quiet. Stop it. She stopped it. There's authority there. There is, and it's not just this David that she's carrying. There are Davids in this house, male and female, who have a heart for the kingdom. And this sound that's in this house is not just for this house. God intends for it to be dispersed. We're carrying it home. I saw Amy on the floor. You owe us. Bishop, will you ever give it up? No, man, I'm milking this thing. But this church has a debt, not just to celebrate what God's doing here, but to get it out. God, I speak to that child. I speak to that William David, right? Well, we were on the fence about the middle name. All right, man. I just okay. But just, we're not on the fence right, anymore. I don't think, Hambe. Huh, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's William David. William the Strong. We need to see that this place is an incubator. You're raising up generals who are going to lead something out there that's beyond us. Children. Children. One generation shall declare to the next the goodness of God, the glory of God. Get set for children to bring a presence that we have hungered for. I want to see it come. God took a teenager who was surprised by her announcement and introduced her to an old woman who was surprised by her announcement. But when the teenager spoke to the old woman, what was in the old woman leaped for joy. You guys need to begin to speak the word of the Lord to people who think they're barren, who think they are without hope. But this is what I love about the song. The orphans, the hope have found their, hopeless have found their hope. There's a hope in this house. There's a sound in this house. And say, God, show us how to export it. Just say that. Say, God, show us how to export it. Show him, God, I pray that you would give him seeing eyes that as he overlooks the generation that's behind him and in front of him, because what God wants to see on this platform is a multicolored palette yes. of faces and voices and generations so that we can say this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our sight, that this church will have staying power because it will have young and old together doing what you've called them to do. Let the worshipers arise. Come on, say, let the worshipers arise. And so we call them in from the north and the south and the east and the west. And we say, come in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I love you. I mean I, I mean, I, I mean, I love you. I mean, I'm not just saying I like you, but I love you. Love you guys. This is an amazing place. Don't mess it up, okay? Oh, my goodness. Well... Yep, the babies are crying, but we'll just take a second because, you know, they'll calm down when they see you, um, and give grace to all the folks working with them. 
Amen. We're really appreciative. They, uh, they have a clock. They don't know about revival, but it's coming. It's coming. There'll be wonder babies there. So I, I just have to say this, Bishop. In, um, years ago when we were on, in the casket warehouse on 13th Street in the hood, Ken Henry was with us, and he prophesied about the young Daniels and Esthers and Davids that God was raising up in this house. And that was like 20-plus years ago. So some of the young adults you're seeing here are that word, and your word just sent it into future generations. And we, we receive it, and we, you know, we lived by that stuff because when you're there on 13th Street, you, if you don't hang on to the word of the Lord, you should just quit. You know, like, <laughs> say, move someplace else. And God did bring us to this place, which was also prophesied at, in that place. So I just want to pray for every person. You're in a place where you're thinking, like, there is no way we're going to get from where we are now to the things that God has said. And I just want to declare to you that God is faithful, and it's not... He doesn't... We don't know how to get there, but he is taking you there. And, Father, we just receive this word, full-blown revival, whatever that means, not just for, for this place, but for all you who came from places because you hunger for this, that you're taking it back with you and pouring it out. And I bless you in the name of the Lord with overflow that continues with a well that doesn't end, that God will give you staying power and you'll keep living with your heart elevated above your head and trust the Lord with all your heart. Where is, what shall we say then concerning what God has said? What does it say? It says the word is near you even in your heart. And so as your heart speaks, release the word of the Lord. I bless you. Thank you for coming. We love you. And uh, other than getting your kids, there's not a hurry to leave. Okay, so may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May you know that he's smiling at you, and may his peace be upon you as you bear his name. Amen, amen. Shalom, shalom.